0: All right. Good morning again. Uh, welcome. So I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. So this morning, we, uh, we don't do this. It's the second time we've ever done this, but we're, we're taking the sermon from here and showing it at uh, the other two campuses as well so that all three campuses are hearing the same thing. So um, if you guys could give it up for our team on North Campus on three. Ready? One, two, three. There we go. It's good. <clears throat> very grateful for them. And then on the east side, this is year, they've been there three years, so they're in their fourth year of ministry, our east campus team on three, one, two, three. There we go. It's awesome. Yep, super grateful for up on North Campus, led by Josh Casey, the campus pastor there, and the faithful people of Heartland Church, and about 50 or so from here that have gone there to form one body and a movement of the gospel in North Liberty, super pumped about that. And then my good friend, Doug Fern, East Campus Pastor, um, the guy who has given his life uh, for this city and uh, for the people in uh, Southeast Iowa City, uh, just doing an amazing job there with some very faithful people as well extending the gospel there So it's a great honor uh, to be one church in three locations So um, this morning I'm going to start with talking about my dad a little bit So my dad for at least I'm going to say the last 50 years of his life Has invested a lot of his time and energy into soybeans All right And so growing up with him I always remember he did soybean research at the University of Maryland Then went into private industry and so through, um, our, obviously, some teams working with him uh, and the gifts that God has given him, uh, there are some soybean varieties that are growing all over the Midwest and the South on the East Coast, like the Mid- Middle Eastern part of the United States, and then also in some other countries like China, uh, Turkey, Argentina, Chile, uh, and then most recently in one of the stands, Kyrgyzstan, where there's a variety that's absolutely killing it and there are some missionaries that are taking that seed and distributing it around Muslim farmers, and the farmers are going nuts. Like, what's in these beans? Like, what's like, and so it's giving them a platform to share the gospel. So my my dad absolutely loves what he does, and uh, he's over 80, and you can't stop him. Like, he just loves loves doing what he's doing, and so, but what's cool is when you think about just a seed, like a soybean, like, it just looks like, yeah, it's just a soybean, but like, uh, a guy like my dad, and there's a lot of people who do research like that, um, can can select different traits that go into these seeds. And so that's why he has different varieties that grow in different parts of the world. Like some of these seeds maybe have traits to have thicker stems or to be cold tolerant or heat tolerant, or some of them, some of the traits will help them resist disease. Listen to this, Phytophthora root rot. Like, doesn't that sound nasty? But he's got, you know, he can, he can put some traits in there that help the beans survive. That sounds like bad athlete's foot to me. But Phytophthora root rot, um, he can, he can trade against that and all of that. And so, and obviously the big traits you want are high yield and high protein content, especially in parts of the world where food is scarce. Uh, a bean like the soybean can really help people's nutrition and diet. That's why he's so passionate about this stuff. So, but I think it's a great uh, analogy of the gospel. You know, there's different times where Jesus referred to the gospel as a seed. And again, the gospel can look small, like particularly maybe when you think of you in the gospel compared to this whole world, you think, well, this looks kind of small. But, but God loves doing profound things through things that at first appear small. And so what we've been talking about this whole fall as a church is what are the traits of a follower of Jesus? Like when the gospel gets planted into our lives, what are the traits that, that start to show And so we've looked at five of them over the last eight weeks. Uh, Things like that a trait that will happen is that we'll be people who will enjoy God's presence, that we are worshipers, okay? That one sign the gospel is taking root is that we just love being in God's presence, all right? And so uh, another one we saw is that another trait of a disciple is that we will live God's story, that we are students, that we study the word of God and make sure our lives are lining up by it. Another trait is that we will love God's people As people loved by God, then we look and God says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, love one another. And so now we are part of a family. We don't go to church, but this is a place where we are with our family. We're with others who are loved by God and we love uh, each other with that love that God has given us. So we love God's people. We share God's gifts. So we're stewards. We know that then that the time we have, the treasures, the talents we have are not ours. And so, so we give those, we deploy those uh, because they're not ours. We deploy them in a way that God is asking us to, and that's how our lives are most fulfilled. And then last, we've been talking about serving God's world, that we are servants. Remember, last if you were here last week, just the most amazing statement, that we are sent to this world for the same reason that Jesus was sent. You talk about a significant banner over your life. How about that? That you are sent here for the same purposes that Jesus was sent. So our vision is to be a church where Jesus transforms lives, starting with our own, but then through us renews a city and impacts the world. So how can we be a movement of followers of Jesus who truly express the traits of the gospel, especially when we live, it seems, in a time where the number of people who believe in the gospel are decreasing, where the hostility or the opposition to the gospel message seems to be increasing. You've heard us talk about this before, but we live in one of the least Bible-minded uh, areas of our country. Like, we're right down there with, with Las Vegas and San Francisco, and that's kind of shocking. You say, well, we're in Iowa. Yeah, but we are in a very uh, kind of a unique island here where, where uh, people's receptivity to the Bible is, is, is at a low point compared to the rest of our country. In fact, what's interesting today is that if people find out that you're a Bible-believing Christian, not only will you be looked at as being foolish, there are some pockets in a growing pocket now that would look at you as being dangerous. Like it's not just foolish that you believe this stuff, but this is pretty dangerous that we have people like you believing the stuff that you believe. So how how can we be a people, how can we be a place where the gospel can show these beautiful traits, where we can see God transform us and transform a city. Like, how can that happen in, in, a, in a climate that's growing in hostility? There's a book of the Bible that speaks so well to this, and I've referred to it several times just personally in the last couple of years, and it's the book of First Peter. So if you have a Bible or if you want to swipe to a passage, we're going to look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and a few verses after that. Just to refresh us, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He's just an average, ordinary fisherman. And then Jesus invited him to follow him, and the gospel did amazing things in Peter's life, where he became the leader of this whole Christian movement, that it started from a small handful of people, like a small seed, like a soybean, (laughs) And now it is spread so that if this is an average day, 150,000 people per day around the world are gonna start following Jesus. Like it's a profound movement. But it started with guys like Peter, all right? And so we're gonna let Peter teach us about how do you take that seed of the gospel and, and allow it to just bear the fruit in our lives even in a hostile time. Now, I, I, not, not to belittle us, today, but I'm going to a little bit. So like if we were to sit down with Peter and start talking about how it's hard to be a Christian today, (laughs) I think he'd be gracious and he'd listen and he'd go, wow, that's too bad. Hmm, I'm so sorry about that. And then maybe finally we'd say, so what's it like for you? Oh my goodness. Like they talk about being murdered and slaughtered and persecuted and just run down. In fact, the people that he's writing to are on the run. Like, they're on the run because of their identity with Jesus Christ. They're fleeing persecution, okay? So, now again, not to belittle you, I know it's hard, but, but Peter's writing to people that are enduring much harder difficulty than we are, and yet he speaks so clearly to them about how to let the gospel take root and bear fruit in our lives and in the people around us. So, so I'm super pumped to walk through this with you. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this uh, together. So, Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. It is so practical. It is so powerful. And I have loved this letter that Peter wrote to Christians uh, living in hard times about how to still extend the gospel when uh, things can get tough. And so I just pray we as a church would be a faithful people that when you plant the gospel in our lives, that it truly would bear much fruit. And so teach us today. Uh, Key truths that we're going to need as a movement of the gospel to see the gospel move forward in your great name We pray amen So what we're going to see today is three things from peter. Okay, peter What would you walk us through? He said I want to show you your identity i want to show you a plan and I want to remind you of the power that you have to pull this off We're gonna spend most of our time on the identity and that's going to be in first peter chapter 2 Let me just start reading in verse 11 It says beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor, okay? So from that text, I'm gonna show you three identities or three, yeah, three identities that, that Peter wants his people to know. First one is this, is that, and it's a word we probably just, most of the time, we just fly right by, but it's that very first word. Pump the brake, let's stay here. It's the word beloved, okay? It's the word beloved. We are loved by God. I think if there is a person who had a better front row seat to what it means to be loved by God than Peter, I'd like to know who that is, okay? So, because for three years of his life, I already told you a little bit, Peter was just an average, ordinary fisherman, and Jesus invited him in. Why don't you come, come follow me. And as Peter followed Jesus, he saw some astonishing things. Peter got to walk on water in a stormy sea because Jesus said, come, come out here, okay? He got to see Jesus raise dead people. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 plus people. I mean, he saw the most amazing man that's ever walked this planet do those astonishing things. So he saw the greatness of Jesus. But then up close and personal, Peter experienced the love and the kindness and the mercy of Jesus. I don't know what you know about the life of Peter But he did one of the most epic fails when Jesus was arrested and Peter, in the heat of a moment, denied that he even knew Jesus three different times. Like, epic fail. This one who loved him so well invited him in to follow him. Peter just denies him. But on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus made a beeline to Peter and reminded Peter, I have forgiven you. I'm not giving up on you. You're still the quarterback. You're still leading this team. Peter is just absolutely blown away by the forgiveness and mercy of God. And so he's reminding us of our identity that we are beloved by God. In fact, right before this passage, he uses phrases like this, you are a chosen people. Again, if anybody would understand that, it's Peter like, man, I didn't do anything. I was a fisherman, and I got chosen to follow him. Like, guys, it's the same way. You are loved, and you are chosen by God, that you are a people of his own possession. That means he's going to provide for you, protect you. You are his. Like he loves you. you he owns you in such a good way, meaning that he cares for you and he, so much that you are his. You're a people of his own possession. And you are called by God to proclaim his excellencies. That when you have been loved so well by a God so great, you can't help but to just talk about how awesome he is, right? And so, and so that's our identity as being loved, by God. And so that's going to be so important because that is our source of security. How can we stand strong in a world where things can go wrong, where things can be hard, where we could be opposed, where we could be uh, reviled and made fun of and scorned? Like you have to be secure in that place of being beloved by God. That is our security. So his love is our confidence. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so in order to live a life of faith, we're going to have to be fearless. Okay? And so um, the only way you'll be able to live without the approval of people is if you know you have the approval of God. That gives you the security in the time when you may get eye rolls or even worse because of your faith, right? And so um, it is only when we know that we are so loved that when we see people in need, we'll, we'll move toward them to meet that need instead of holding back and saying, I'm not sure I got enough. I'm not sure I can help. Like, it's the opposite. When you know you are so loved by God, you can be used by God to meet the needs that you see around you. And so you are so loved that when you hear the jeers of the world, you're, those will be drowned out by the cheers of heaven. God's supporting you, encouraging you, with you and for you. And so, um, guys, last Saturday, so we could go from yesterday, um, I had the privilege of being at a memorial service for a very godly man who died way too young. And uh, his, he's the son of Dave and Fran, Nielsen. Dave and Fran were here last hour sitting right up there. And this, this son of theirs throughout his life has pointed so many people to Jesus. And it's one of those deals where somebody young and in the middle of still doing amazing things for God, you say, God, why? Like, why did that happen now? And so, again, God will have his reasons, and God is good, but one thing I saw happen at that memorial service of about 1,000 people in the room is I felt like I was at a manhood clinic. Like, this is how a man lives his life. Like, this is how a man without fear loves and trusts God. When each of Chris's children talked about him, when his wife talked about him, his dad, and the pastors, there was a clear message that came across that this man loved deeply because he feared very little. In fact, there was a statement his son read about his dad that kind of summarized his dad. And guys, this this just rocks you. Listen, he says, life is short. Eternity is long. Jesus loves us. What do we have to fear? Okay, let me give you an example. One snapshot. Uh, Chris was a surgeon, and about three years ago, sold where they used to live in a suburb called Edina, and moved into an inner city area of Minneapolis. And he and his wife took in four uh, young African-American men who had had no father uh, in their lives, and he wanted to be that male presence in their life to disciple them and pour his life into them. And Chris's vision was to set up four other homes in this inner city area where other couples would go and do the same thing, pour their lives out. One of those men spoke at the memorial as well and could barely get words out. Um, loved so deeply by Chris. But again, life is short. Eternity is long. Jesus loves us. What do we have to fear? What a beautiful life that Chris, Chris lived, all right? So you got to know that you're loved to be able to serve in this world, to be able to lay down your life. You got to know that you're loved and you are loved deeply by the creator God, all right? So next, Peter goes on and he says this. He says, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So um, I mentioned earlier, literally, Peter is writing to exiles. Like, they are on the run. They're just wherever they can grab shelter and safety, these believers are on the run. What's so cool, though, is that Peter's message to them isn't like, oh, it's really hard. Just kind of go underground for a while. Wait for it to pass over. No, the the strategy is, no, keep putting the gospel on display. Keep telling about the excellencies of the one who's loved you so much and so um, the analogy he's using here is to remind us as followers of jesus that this earth is not our permanent home like literally we are sojourners and exiles here and the context in which peter uses that it's, it's so interesting. He's not saying like, yeah, it's such a brutal world around you. Like, lash out against it or protest against it or complain about it, be angry, retaliate against that. No, Peter's biggest concern wasn't the war waged by the world against them, but the, war, the waging of war that goes on within our own souls in our battle against sin. Isn't that astonishing? Like, you defend yourselves, like, fight back. It's like, no, no, no. As you're living in this world, and as you're tempted to, re- to, to forget about the love of God, and you're seeing the persecution around you, it'd be easy to give in, it'd be easy to start living for the things that this world lives for. Early in chapter one in his letter, uh, Peter reminded these people that they have an inheritance waiting for them in heaven, that they and we as believers are to live for things beyond what this world can offer, and so it is astonishing to me that, that Peter was more concerned not about their battles and the ways people could hurt their bodies, but he's way more concerned about the sin, the desires, the temptation that would wage war in their soul. Because guys, you know, I know we've, we battle sin. Uh, there are times where when sin is gaining victory in your life, when you say there's a war in your soul, your soul is the place where your passion is supposed to be real before God, where your love for God, your worship of God is supposed to be flowing. But when your soul is weighed down with sin, you are not worshiping, you are not rejoicing, you are not passionate about Jesus. And so when Peter looked at the people he loved and saw them living as aliens and exiles, that was a way bigger concern for him. Guys, you gotta wage war against the desires of this world because it'll just wreck, it'll wreck your soul. So the way you do that is you keep reminding yourselves that this isn't home. Like this isn't where our needs will be met. This isn't where we will be satisfied. The one who satisfies is in heaven and he loves us and we trust him and we follow him. In 1999, Uh, the last 18 years, there's been a bridge between Parkview Church and the country of Ukraine, and it's been beautiful. Like, a lot of people have crossed that bridge, and as we've crossed that bridge, we've seen a lot of Ukrainians meet Jesus, and we end up coming back just humbled by what it was like to be around Ukrainian believers. Um, I had the privilege of leading that first trip that went there, and I had eight high school kids with me, four guys, four girls, and me. And so uh, it was an amazing week. There was a group from Poland, a group from Ukraine, and a group from Iowa that all got together to do this camp together, and we literally saw dozens, 50 kids give their lives to Jesus in a week of a camp. It blew us all away. We did not expect to see that happen. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. There was some hardship in there. So with 18 of us, or nine of us had 18 bags, like we only had two suitcases that made it for the first four days. Some of you guys might know court Kozier. The guys lived out of court Kozier's stuff for four days. That was brutal for all of us. So another thing that was brutal was the food. And so... uh, Ukrainian diet, and uh, let me just say this, we were at a rustic camp outside of Kiev, so even the Ukrainian kids were complaining about the food. But the staples at this camp were cabbage and borscht, which is a beet-based soup, all right? So imagine a bunch of high school kids, and that's what you're living off of for a week. And so we had a motto, you cannot complain, on this trip. So there were creative ways of of venting our frustrations by saying this is the best beet based soup I have ever had, you know. That fish with a head on it still was so authentic, you know like those kind of things. So we just, you know, you had to get it out but you had to keep it positive. So it was funny in the middle of the week one of the reasons we were there was to teach conversational English and one of the lessons was how to speak English in an American restaurant. And so in the middle of just starving and living on cabbage and borscht, Filgo yutza pulls out a Chili's menu and starts to read to us. The boss burger, smoked brisket, tender rib meat. Jalapeno cheddar smoked sausage, bacon and cheddar, like, Phil, stop it! And then he's like, chicken fajitas, sizzling with chipotle butter. And it was just like driving us crazy, stop that, you know? And so, so there was not a risk, I did not, it didn't cross my mind once, I was not concerned that when this group came back to the States, that they would ditch ever going to Chili's because they were consumed now with borscht and cabbage. Like, it just <laughs> probably wasn't gonna happen, all right? so just couldn't wait to get home for that part of it, right? And so I think Peter's calling us to the same thing. Guys, you're settling. (laughs) This is cabbage. Like, again, I don't, I want to be culturally sensitive. I'm sure well-made borscht is amazing, and I'm sure well-cooked cabbage would just blow me away. So I'm trying to be, be sensitive there. So remember, the Ukrainian kids were complaining too. It wasn't just us, but um, but, but, but in a far grander way. I think God just looks at us and goes, why are you settling you know, there's, I have way better, way better stuff for you. It's a famous quote by a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child he wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are too easily pleased peter's calling his people like in the midst of hardship and a culture it may not be going the way you're going man do not do not overlook the the war in your soul uh, over the desires and temptations we face you know the greatest contribution uh, to the gospel going out will be the holiness of god's people it's holy people that create hunger in a world, spiritual hunger, like when they see God's people living for different things than they're used to, uh, they may not agree with you and they may think you're kind of foolish, but they're going to be leaning in so like, so what are you living for like what where are you getting Where are you finding your satisfaction um, I, over the last several years i've and just throughout my ministry just. Gotten to be involved in many, many marriages, weddings, premarital counseling. So keep this vague. Don't try to figure out who this was. But there was a couple, just put it in the last 10 years span, somewhere in there. That early on, when I was meeting with them. I found out they're living together, same address, and all that. So um, we just talked about the gospel and talked about marriage and God's plan, and they were tracking with that. And so I just said, you know what? Um, I just want you to know this. I'm, I'm not gonna be the sex police in your marriage. Like every time we meet, I'm not gonna ask you, but, but here, here's what the Bible teaches about sex. Like it is amazing, but it's for within the context of marriage, man and woman married. That's where sex is, is enjoyed. And so the choice is yours. Like do you want God to bless your marriage? Like this is a great time to just give your marriage to him and say, we wanna do it your way, not, not ours. And again, I said, you, now you know. I'm not gonna be sex please but so we met and so the next time they did come back which was good and then we we went through whatever topic we were doing and at the end they said hey you know what i want to make sure you know that we heard what you said and now here's our plan like we're gonna be celibate until we're married and thank you for showing us that and we did not do what god wanted now we want to because we want god to bless our marriage awesome so it's at the reception Fast forward several months, and one of their family members came up to me and said, uh, could I, can I talk to you about your counseling stuff you do with them? I go, yeah, it's like, when they used to come to our house, they used to like just be in the same room. Now, they're in different rooms. I go, well, that, that's okay, that's not gonna happen anymore. Like now, you'll see them in the same room, like they're gonna have sex, like, it's gonna be awesome, but all the, all, they just didn't, they weren't aware or didn't just, they made a decision to do what God wanted them to do. And you could tell, like this was a family where the gospel was still starting to make inroads but just you could have just seen the draw drop and the confusion. Like, so there's something better than sex? Yeah, what's better than sex is knowing God and doing what God wants you to do and obeying him. So, so that's what Peter is calling us to. We are sojourners. We're aliens. We're loved by God. And then what, what all that does then is it frees us up to be our next identity here is that we're called to be servants. Okay, we're called to be servants. And he said this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so how do we live in a world that's increasingly opposed to the gospel? You live as servants. You, you put people ahead of yourself. Um, we live as people who have been set free to no longer live for ourselves, all right? The word honorable there could also have been translated beautiful. I like that a little bit better in this context, that that they may see your good deeds, um, which are, which are let, let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable. Literally, just think of it as beautiful. Like when you obey God, when you live the way God is calling you to live, there, there may be some hostility, there may be some ridicule about who you say you are, that you follow Jesus, but But you cannot argue against the beauty of seeing people live as servants. Peter says, you just let them see your good deeds so that they will glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to talk about that a little bit, day of visitation. You read that, sometimes you might think, okay, that's the end times. That's when Jesus is going to come back. He's going to get them. Like they didn't believe and they didn't, but then they will. So, I mean, that could be. But I, I think there's another time where Peter saw a day of visitation, and that was in his own ministry And it's in Acts chapter 10 where, for the first time, God wanted Peter to see that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews but also for the Gentiles. And through kind of some really cool dreams and situations, Peter found himself in a Gentile home sharing the gospel, and they believed. It was so cool. And so when he was talking about that later in Acts 15 and describing what happened, he he referred to it as a visitation. And isn't that cool that God can use the works of his people uh, to, that are beautiful to eventually lead people to bring glory to God. And their day of visitation is the day they see those things and look into those, those things and ask you about your life or where you get that or why you live that way. And you proclaim the excellencies of the one who has loved you. And through all of that, God uses that to bring them to himself. And that's the day of visitation. When they see God put on display, repent and believe in him, God can use his people doing good works, living as servants to bring glory to God. And so and so that's what he is calling us to do as people. So our identity is that we're loved, we're aliens and sojourners, and that frees us up to be servants, to really do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So and I see that throughout this church. Like that's one I, I do feel like I have a fifty yard line seat watching you guys, hearing stories. Um, little things like, like a few years ago, one of my kids was in a junior high choir concert over at West High. Oh, you know, and those are you're battling to stay focused because it seemed like every junior high kid in the district was singing something. And so it's one of those nights where it's back to back to back, and the director said, "Okay, I need we a five minute break here. I need a few volunteers to come up and rearrange." the stage, like I was just ready to do something. So I'm flying up there, but it was really cool. Like I look and there's Bob Turnquist and Craig Vanderleese and Tad Mabry, like a bunch of park for you guys. It's like, there we go, that's awesome. So like the little things like that or the way that I hear you guys caring for each other, caring for neighbors, um, I, I think that over the years, you know, about 30% of our budget that comes in goes out of these walls, you know, to bless a ministry to the campus, to bless a ministry to the southeast side of town, to bless global workers, getting the gospel out. Um, so many cool stories over the years that we could accumulate. One of my favorite ones I just heard about this week, and this guy would never tell you about it, so I hope he keeps telling me stories because I'm going to tell you it's so beautiful. So my friend Doug Fern, or he's Campus Pastor, and I, I'll just keep it vague so you don't try to figure out which kid it is, but um, just say when they were starting Faith Academy, Doug and one of the leaders was going door-to-door through the community over in the Broadway area just telling parents about a school that's coming. It's faith-based. Um, would, would you be interested? And so he went to one home where there was a young guy on the floor, and the grandma was watching, and the grandma just laughed. and said, you wouldn't want him in your school. And so they pressed in a little bit. Well, why not? You know, thought maybe just joking, or he's kind of a, but she said, he doesn't talk. He's like five years old. He doesn't talk. Like, what's he going to do in your school? And so through some conversation all that, um, that kid has been in the school, for more than two years, okay, and he's doing great. Like, he's reading, um, great level uh, education, all kinds of things, and the other day, he told his grandma, and she told this to Doug, uh, she, he said, um, when I get older, I want to be, I want to be like Doug Fern. He said, oh, you want to run a school? He said, no, I, I want to be a pastor. Like, isn't that, isn't that, I mean, it's beautiful, and guys, there, that's one story of just story after story after story, but does that does amazing things for the gospel when god's people live as servants and live do good works that are seen as beautiful in in our world so um so keep that going all right so that that's the longest part of my sermon okay so peter would say first of all you got to know your identity the next two parts go quick okay so the next one is like okay so peter how did how did this start working out in your life and in your people you were just an average fisherman And then Jesus started doing all these things in his life. I think he would tell us a story of the early days. And you could look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. He said, hey, when Jesus went to heaven, we got the Holy Spirit. We started this church thing. This is what we did. And so just listen to the plan. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came among every soul, and great wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the Lord added to their number every day. So the rhythms that lead to growth, you guys, Peter would say, for you wanna be a place where the gospel is planted and then you see the fruit go? Well, here's some rhythms. There's a devotion to teaching. There's a devotion to the community, to loving each other. And then there's a devotion to prayer. And the results then of spiritual growth is fruit. Our character changes And people are led to Jesus. And so clear back in early September, late August, we rolled out our plan as a church is to gather to worship like we're doing today. We worship Jesus. We hear the proclamation of his word. But then we grow in community. So we make commitments to be involved in each other's lives through community groups. And we get equipped through different equipping classes we have here. But we do life together. We grow in community. And then we go on mission. And guys, just... Um, again, 50-yard line seat, the stories I'm hearing of people who are coming to Jesus is awesome. So um, I own Foster, many of you know her, disciples, a lot of women, told me, uh, told us a story of a woman who's gotten to lead two people to Christ in the last couple of weeks. That is awesome. Um, Paul Donaldson told me about a group that was meeting to read uh, English together with, with non-native English speakers, and one of these people from a Muslim country gave their life to Jesus recently. Um, you know, we've been hosting parties here for the Sudanese community, and um, there's a, now a Bible study going on in a family unit, a growth, you know, of a group of Sunnis where there is now a believer in Jesus and others are exploring the gospel. God, that is, guys, that is really cool. Or somebody in the DNA booklet, you know, one of the practical parts at the end was to pick, th- I think it's three or five, friends in your life and just start praying for them. And so there's a man that started faithfully doing that. This is really cool. One of them was his neighbor, and so at the start of his day, he just literally said to God, "Do you want me to take the bus today or walk today because I just want you to use me." God led him to walk. So he's walking through his neighborhood, and one of the people he's praying for, he just kind of caught him hauling off on one of his kids. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so then he saw this friend, this my friend, and he just stopped short, and he just said, "I I just need some help. Can we just get together and talk?" And so they've met, and my friend just basically listened. But the guy said, do you mind if we keep meeting? Like, I just need some help. I want to be a better dad. Like, is that that awesome? And then this guy got to work, and one of his other three friends, similar, just opened up and said, do you think we could get together and talk? Like, so, so that's awesome about going on mission. So we gather to worship. We grow in community. But then we go on mission together and get the gospel out in this city. So that's the plan. And then, uh, finally, disciples power. Peter would say, again, Peter, you had a plan there, but how'd you pull this off? And I think, again, Peter would just wipe away a tear and go, you know what? Don't you even think about doing any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, before Jesus unleashed us to do all this, he kind of put the foot on the brake, and he said, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit, Roman or Acts eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so again, how does an average ordinary fisherman do and see the kind of things that he saw God do in his life? Uh, it wasn't his own power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so something to remember is that as every one of us goes to, to live out this mission and vision, remember that Jesus said that he's going to give us his spirit, that anybody who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit in you. And Jesus said, you will do greater things we will do greater things than he did you can scratch your head and go how is that possible but what's awesome is that you think about every follower of jesus on this planet filled with the holy spirit like empowered by the spirit of god like you just talk about the movement and the things that can happen so peter would say just remember this isn't you this is the power of the holy spirit and so as you yield your life as you desire to follow jesus and make jesus name known you immediately then have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's here to do, is to exalt Jesus. And so as soon as he can find men and women, students, who that's their ambition to, that's when he fills us and he has room in, room in our lives to use us and do, and do great things. So maybe a good gut check question for us to ask and make sure that we are reliant on the Holy Spirit is to regularly ask yourself, like when, what's the last thing that's happened in my life that can really only be explained by the fact that the Spirit of God lives in me. Like what's, and if it's been a long time, like that, that could just be a wake-up call. Like, I wonder if I've been really lining my life up to follow Jesus, to really be a person who bears the traits of a disciple. And that could be a wake-up moment to, to, again, just get on board with what it means to follow Jesus. But as soon as you are in that place where you're running after the things Jesus ran after, man, then His Spirit is so there ready to help you do that. He's not going to empower you to do your agenda. Sorry. But he is going to use, he's going to empower you to do Jesus' agenda. And that's totally why he's in our lives.